Hey everybody, this is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, thanks for everybody who's been listening to the podcast lately. I always really enjoy seeing that people actually listen to what I have to say because I'm always continuously stunned that, you know, I have anything valuable to anybody to say about anything, much less anime. Although I guess I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, I've been watching this stuff for a while. But on that note, I want to talk about a little show from 2019 called Oh Maidens in Your Savage Season. I got Now, for those of you who don't, for those of you who subscribe to maybe only one streaming service, who have somehow escaped the curse that us people who talk about anime on the internet have taken upon ourselves, Amazing Your Savage Season was licensed by Sentai Filmworks. I'm actually going to do a little bit more of a technical breakdown than I usually do, because I think that this particular show deserves it because of its voice and its unique its its unique its unique voice and the unique subject matter and the way it chooses to approach that subject matter and I'll get to that in a second. But this was licensed by Sentai Filmworks and it's still streaming and it's actually streaming dubbed on High Dive. And if you haven't checked out High Dive, um you definitely should. It's a little bit, it's, I think it's like five bucks a month. I signed up for it when it was like in its very infancy because it was three bucks when it was three bucks a month and I got grandfathered in for a while. But I think even now I pay like five bucks a month or something. It's like one in a long list of just stuff I pay for to watch anime. I mean, I pay for most if you can think of a major streaming service, there's a fair chance I pay for it. So I can watch the anime on that service. Um, but that said, there was one little technical snafu, and you might find this too if you're um, using High Dive and you use the dub, the dub setting, which is really nice because instead of like 
asking you or making you change it every time. Like, say, I don't know, um, every other app. Once you say, hey, I want dubs, anytime you're watching something with a dub, it will straight up just put that, remember that, and it will play the dub. It takes a little bit longer for the changeover because it's checking a database somewhere, but that's a really nice touch just as a, like, from a user perspective. But the thing's not a nice touch is it's dub setting turns off all subtitles everywhere. So what I would recommend doing is what you have to do if you want the subtitled text in um, the Ava, in the version of Ava they have in, um, on, uh, what's it called? Um, Netflix is to go in to like, I have an Apple TV and click auto and auto should catch when there's on screen text that should need to be um, translated. But in this, in the case of O Maidens, it's not really a concern. It's just like, like you, you'll get, you'll get what's happening without being able to read everything. And oftentimes the characters are reading it out loud to themselves anyway. But still, it's, it's, it's worthwhile <laughs> to maybe do that when you start this show because you're like, oh, wait, I can't read any of this. This sucks. Um, but the reason I want to talk about the show and the reason why I want to do a bit of a more technical breakdown is, like I said, it has a really unique voice and it covers a really unique thing from a perspective you wouldn't expect. And not just for, you know, girls and teen girls, but really anybody under the age of 18 it really this is a really a true statement of um so there was a big controversy about the show about the film cuties on netflix and the big controversy was they actually got under underage child actor to like do the twerking and the thrusting and the hip grinding and all that other nonsense for this movie. And I had a whole conversation with um, Larry, my friend Larry, me and Lauren's friend Larry, not the Twitter bird, but me and Lauren's friend Larry and Lauren over on, and I think I just recently released it on our um, Uncanny Curves podcast as a clapcast, but, um, which is the stuff we talk to each other about before we like do the clap and get into the podcast but the thing the reason why everybody got ultimately really uncomfortable with the like cuties movie is because it was about you know preteen girls it was about girls who were not of age it was about like girls who are not who are not 18 for lack of a better reason. For, for lack of a better, like, framing device. And oftentimes people don't like to think of, you know, anybody under the age of consent, whatever that age is, and wherever you're growing up, that makes that the normal number of like, oh, they're allowed to be sexual and have sexual thoughts out loud. People just don't like to do, to like, think like that and also thinking like that 
oftentimes, like, uh, can be a path to illegality and is, and the act of seeing someone who is underage in those scenarios is illegal for good reason. You know, we have child obscenity laws for an actual reason. There's a lot of advantage that can be taken of in that scenario. And actually there's a character that there's a character that has a conversation with the audience about that in in Savage Season and we'll get to him absolutely. But what that kind of like controversy also reveals is Difficult if you're like 15, 16, 17, and you don't have, and I've talked about this before, I think, either on that, um, in that cutie conversation or on, I've talked about this a bunch of times, is my point. But it's difficult to find a way through the minefield of puberty and through the minefield of your hormones waking up for the first time as a young person because there's no resource for you because the resource for you would be basically illegal. <laughs> Not basically illegal, actually illegal. Like if there was like, okay kids, this is what it looks this is what sex looks like. It, that ends up being a problem. A big problem, a child obscenity laws and child pornography problem. But the long and short of it is, it's like you're left to find those answers out through a combination of like asking your parents, smacking into each other in the fucking dark of night of the time period that you're in. And it's one of the things that makes high school really difficult. It's one of the things that makes your teenage years violently impossible it's one of the things that makes the age 19 like just that's an insufferable fucking age to be for anybody because you are technically of age like you can do the deed but you've been so for like a year and you're still no better off than you were usually and it just kind of sucks because you're like on this verge of a whole new universe or so you're told and you're just sitting there for 365 fucking days and one of the few places that has been like a place for it it's, I want to stress this that um oftentimes the LGBTQ the LGBTQ I plus community has looked to porn as like a way to explore their sexuality before or during coming out or however that process works for them. And that's become fairly accepted. Like lots of LGBTQI plus youth do watch queer porn and do find 
some degree of normalcy in it because it feels right to them. And we'll get we'll get to a character who's very clearly like had just leaped off that cliff of finding it in herself for that kind of thing. And it's but it's hard for everybody and there's not a whole lot to look to for advice in a way that that A, does not judge you, B, captures the reality and the height, as well as the heightened reality of what it is to go through that. And it's really difficult to find that stuff. And one of the only places where the sexuality of people under, of underage people has kind of been on display in any way because they just don't they're insane and the fandom is insane and they're catering all kinds of weird niches and fetishes and all this other stuff that is uniquely Japanese is anime but even they don't have that conversation outright even in the creepiest of adult hentai stuff they just don't have that conversation because Nobody really wants to think about that stuff because it A, we all went through it. We're all adults. And if you're listening to this and you are in it and you're going through it, trust me, look at an adult and they had some variant of hormones are here now and my life is just fucked. And recently there there was one show that really kind of (laughs) did its best to like metaphorically and physically grab that concept by the balls and just swing it like a nunchuck and that show was um i think it was called um it had the hormone monster in it i forget what it was called but it was a netflix original and it was i it's the only thing that i can see that i've seen that comes close to describing the like you hit a certain age and like your perspective on the world changes it's like a massive brain shift and yes you are still the same person at the end of the day but like there's all the other things added to your calculations of like relationships between men and men relationships between men and women relationships between everybody Everything means new things all of a sudden. And Obey the Near Savage Season, what it really does kind of fabulously, and it is, it is about that happening to a bunch of teenage girls. But, and you're left to believe to um, actually five teenage girls. And you're led to believe initially that... It, it it started to happen in them and they like were refusing to acknowledge it because none of them had the a had the fuel to like the fuel to light the fire so to speak or and none of them had the the reason to acknowledge it because they had no like target person to aim their affections at and then you come in at the first episode and it 
it kind of like the pot boiled over, to, so to speak. And so you follow the you follow these five girls, a uh, girl named Kazusa, um, on, Onidara Kazusa, um, Hongo, Hitoha. Um, there's a lot of ending in H because anime and manga writing. <laughs> um, Sonozaki, Rika, um, Sugawara, Nina, who, who, who is an interesting character for a bunch of reasons, and we'll get to her. Um, and then finally, Pseudo Momoko, and Pseudo Momoko is another. We'll talk about all five of them, basically. And the way it starts out is they're all part of a literature club, and they are reading, like, just the filthiest porn. But they're, like, reading it out loud in a basement club room <laughs> in a way that has earned all five of them a reputation of being, like, the horny-on main literature clubs that nobody likes. <laughs> and you find that later, like, yeah, yo, nobody likes you. You guys all just read horny horny book porn for hours out loud. It's weird. You're weird. And as soon as you start hearing the di the dialogue that they're reading, you realize like, oh these girls are just just show just gonna be super horny on main in a way that is incredibly honest and incredibly non judgmental from the perspective of the camera. And what I mean by that is oftentimes when shows are super horny or when it, it or when any character much like it, but especially a female character is in any way like outwardly sexual. The camera does things to make it feel like they have an opinion on it and they are Put, and what that is doing, that's putting an opinion on you. If you look at this through the eyes of, like, the male gaze, the male gaze is the same thing. It's giving the viewer a default perspective on a character. Um, there's a great video about um, that movie... Um, that uh, movie... Uh, what's it called? Um, who's the Joker's assistant? But anyway, so um, the this show notably lacks a kind of gendered gaze, which helps it get around all of these moments. But it also l lacks this, like, it lacks a judgment on any of the characters and the way they feel and the way they're dealing with their feelings and the way they're dealing with just like all the hormones switches turned on at once and now it's a mess. And over 12 episodes what that means is, is they, there's enough time for them to explore things thoroughly but not enough time for them to languish in things. So you get something that feels pretty fast-paced and pretty chaotic in a way that mimics the way it feels when you're like 15, 16 and all the hormones turned on and you're like, oh, what's happening? I don't know what anything means anymore. And then you have 
Um, I want to talk about this for a second because we'll. This is probably the only time I'll get to talk about them. You have this moment where you meet a character who's named who's named um, Jujo Sone, and Sone is. Uh, is a gal character, and they always show gal characters in anime as being, like, super made up, tan, they roll their skirts, their skirts are always shorter, they, like, either don't wear a tie or just drape the tie around their collar and, like, wear their shirt buttoned down so you can see cleavage. It's, it's a type in anime, partially because it's a type in reality, but what they kind of do with Sone, which is really unique is they kind of portray her as an early bloomer, which everybody has in their mind the idea of a late bloomer. A late bloomer feels like they're on a path to the 30-year-old virgin until they really aren't. And that's kind of, like, if there's anybody with a role in that, in a, with a role in, with that role in this show... Probably the main character, Kazuha, Kazusa, but we'll get back to her. Because what they do with Sone is they have a conversation about, like, what people perceive somebody who just, like, realized that stuff a little earlier than everybody else as. And late and very late in the series, by the way, spoiler alert for this entire thing, I'm taking no mercy. It came out. It came out before the bad times. You've had time to watch it. It's 12 episodes. Go watch it. But what they ultimately do with Sone is they reveal that her and her boyfriend got pregnant. Or she got pregnant. I, you, you meet her boyfriend once. As a kind of shock value joke, but also a conversation about, like, oh, I never expected her to go out with, like, a normal, very unassuming, like, bashful, honest guy from a different high school. I was expecting, like, a biker dude, not, like, a dude who just looks like a student. <laughs> That's, and it's this incredibly honest moment of, of Kazusa being, like... I didn't expect him to be normal and realizing that like, oh, no, wait, I don't know why I shouldn't have. Actually, it wasn't Kazusa who um, noticed it. It was, um, it was Rika. And Rika's like, I don't know why I should have expected it not to be normal. She seems like an okay person. And up until then, they had been like, trying, like, Sone had been trying to be friends with Rika because she recognized that Rika was coming out of her shell and, like, people were being assholes to her. And she was like, I don't need to give this girl any guff for, like, leaving the glasses at home and wearing contacts for, for a change. Or, like, letting her hair down both literally and figuratively like, that's a lot of judgment, and nobody needs that, especially this poor, very repressed girl. <laughs> and that brings me, actually, to Rika. And for each, for three of the five girls, there is a, like, counter, there's, like, a counter boy and a counter boy narrative. 
One is a adult who um is the character um who's who's um who's Professor Yamagachi. Um, I'm gonna call him to Tomoki because Tomoki is a teacher, and he's kind of opposite um Hongo, and Hongo is a teenage fiction writer who wants to know more about like love and sex and relationships and all that shit because her writing ra lacks realism because she doesn't know what she's talking about because she's freaking 15 and why would she and her and her very irresponsible fucking editor are putting pressure on her for that at least in the beginning of the episode and at least the beginning of the show and then it takes on a life of its own but um then opposite um Rika is shown and shown is this just this very honest guy a guy who probably realized that he had feelings for the opposite sex fairly early and pretty and just is the kind of person who is okay with being honest with himself and with the rest of the world and he just says that he likes Rika and Rika is this very it's this very repressed very at the beginning of the show she's very repressed she's very straight edge um in the same way at she kind of had the same arc as um the main character from Paradise Kith, I forget her name, even though it's one of my favorite shows, but I forget her name. She had that sa almost that same arc, but a little less self-serious and a little less turning into an absolute su supermodel bitch at one point. Um, but then the last male character, who stands opposite both Nina, kind of, but really stands opposite Kazusa, is Izumi and Izumi is is the open this show up with a bang character A which we'll get to right after this and B he is like the one who hasn't gotten it figured out in Shun and Tomoki you have an adult who's gone through all this already who has experienced that like welling of like hormones and he's lived with those hormones for long enough where he knows like where to aim them and how to aim them appropriately whereas other characters with uh, the other two male characters don't really have as hard a handle on it um and then Shun is so honest he's such a good boy and like it just just takes every like roadblock that Rika puts in front of him and just like windmill kicks it down with all of his might successfully every time that it's it's very clear that he has decided oh I like this feeling I'm going to pursue this feeling with the person who gives me these feelings let's go 150% in at all times and then there's Tomoki. Tomoki and Kazusa have been next-door neighbors for their entire lives. And they have this great moment of, like, 
Tomoki and little Tomoki and little Kazusa playing outside in like a blow up kiddie pool and like their mom turn around and Tomoki behind Kazusa just buck ass kid naked and they're like oh Jesus it's weird now and it, that's just like little kid shit it doesn't matter it they they're they're childhood friend characters but the thing that they do that's really unique here is that they don't just say that they really make you the audience feel it in a way that isn't just cursory like they're constantly over each other's houses they're constantly with each other but like in the way that brothers brothers and sisters or family member of the opposite sex are constantly with each other and that makes it odd when and that makes it odd and hard for either of them to notice when they come to the conclusion that like oh shit we have a thing for each other we should convert this from friendship into full-blown boyfriend girlfriend lovers scenario and one of the best um things that i've ever heard about relationships one of the best things i've ever heard about relationships is is like relationships like romantic relationships are just friendship on fire and what that means is and what that's meant to mean to people is that like you should be friends with your significant other you should like them you should like them as a person you should have fondness for them and want to spend time with them and it should not be surprising if you like wake up next to your best friend every day that's not weird that's the way it's supposed to go and these two because they've been friends for so long they don't know what ultimately on many levels they don't know what to do to like properly switch it over but really there's only you don't need to do anything you don't need to do much the feeling just needs to be there and so many people think like oh i would never date i would never date him he's my friend why not it makes total goddamn sense one of the best um shows about one of the best shows about like the elasticity of romances and the way everything shakes out is actually probably and you're gonna be like alex you're insane gossip girl and the reason why i say gossip one of the, that's one of the best shows about that is it really it forces on you like oh these people constantly in each other's orbit and they're constantly like a thing net like they're constantly next to each other and they're constantly with each other and it's only natural that they would be attracted to each other and like go out and sleep with everybody in their orbit it makes total sense it's not rocket science like you don't you don't run into your death your destined one all the time on a dating app or in a bar sometimes many times the person who you could best be with has always been there is always going to be there because that relationship those relationships with your friends and like 
the people around you aren't built up in a way that's conditional, in a way that's like, oh, you cheat on me, we'll never speak again. I One of the things that lots of people think, like, why you shouldn't date the person you're friends with is because you don't want to lose them. And that's a constant thought that everybody has at some point. Like, what if, what if it goes bad and we never speak again? If it goes bad and you never speak again, you may not really be friends. <laughs> like, if it goes bad, at some point, if you're really, really good friends, if that, if that part, if that core part of, like, that person is always there for you, you will speak again. It will be, it will feel maybe awkward at first, but you will go back to being friends. And that's the real honest truth about relationships is like real relationships, real, real bonds aren't conditional. We're just trained to think they are because everybody wants to feel safer from the hurt that way. And that, so that's the deal with Kalisa and um, Izumi. But Izumi is also linked to Nina. And here's why I want to talk about Nina. Because Nina is... Nina's a bunch of fucking things. Nina is first and foremost very clearly a part of like... What they call like a hafu character in anime and in lots of Japanese society. She's very clearly not just Japanese. She's also some other nationality whether it be American or some sort of European, but she's very pale. She has white blonde hair, naturally white blonde hair, and she's, like, slender and, like, mysteriously attractive. But Nina is also, and this is really important, and I I knew somebody like this. I knew somebody specifically like this. Nina has always had value placed on her because of her attractiveness. And it, it's, it's hard for men to understand this, but when you live your life and that's your, and that's your social currency, it becomes like a thing that's linked to you as a woman, as a girl even and you start to identify that as your as the card you can play as the as the thing you have that is of value is your beauty is your attractiveness and that is also true in the reverse when like you do not look traditionally attractive when you do not look traditionally cute it can also really fuck you up but what that tends to do for people who are that attractive is it tends to make them identify with that and oftentimes over-sexualize themselves and aim themselves in a way that feels that can feel coarse to other people but it also walls them off from reality in a way that's protective the great um and it makes them feel like they have to be more mature and more more okay with things that they're not ready to be okay with. 
It's why Nina is the original, like, start of, like, she's the one who says on her bucket list, like, I'd want to have sex. Um, that, unless it's really a choice of yours against it, lots of time, that just happens in the course of you living life. Like, you just bang somebody at some point. Trust me, I know. But, like, as a teenager, you don't really know that. And that seems like the most sensual, certainly attractive thing to say in that moment. So she, it seems like she says it. But also, it's a piece of honesty that is a moment of honesty for her right off the bat. And from that opening scene where they, like, read the porn novel out loud and Nina's like, I, she said that she'd want to have sex. Or she said that she wanted she'd want to do it with somebody. She kind of sets off a she like ticks the first domino of this series, and then Kazusa goes home, and her mom is bugging her like saying, "Go over and give Izumi this because his parents are away for the weekend, and like I don't want him to starve. I love the kid. He's like your little brother. Bring him this." And in a moment. That took, and I cannot stress this enough, if you have only started watching anime seriously recently, or do do not remember this, or were not aware of this discord, this scene took the anime fandom by storm. Like, everybody was like, yo, you seen this shit? This shit is wild. This show is automatic. We are watching all of this show. I don't care how bad it might get. This show has some, has some brass cojones. Let's go. Kamasa walks in on Izumi, just cranking it, just full on like in a desk chair. <laughs> the thing I found hilarious, and he like draped a cloth over his shame, because that feels like I'm like I just learned about this and I don't want to look at it because it makes me feel weird, and he just. He's just going to town choking the chicken. It's, it's amazing. And he... He... She, she walks in. The entire house is dark. Because... As a... As an adult man. When you first discover this process of doing that thing... It feels like no one needs to know. It feels like you need guaranteed the entire domicile to yourself for an extended period of time before you can, like, really get into it and really, like, just be honest with yourself. Just be a dirty little weird gremlin. And that's the vibe. They nailed that vibe. Absolutely perfectly. Like, she walks into the house, and you as a man are like, Listen, you need to go straight to the kitchen. You need to put that in the fridge. Put a note on it. Leave. And just... This is a no-go, though. Like, you do not go investigate the music. You just leave. And Kaza does not do that. She goes straight up. The, she goes up the stairs, very confused. Sees his door like open a jar, which first moves, buddy. Close the door. Close the door. All the way. 
and opens the door, and there is Izumi, just straight up, hand-on, hand-on equipment, just full-on staring at a childhood friend, and he's like, like, it, his brain is coming back down from the high, and he's like putting it together slowly, and she just freaks out and runs as fast as she freaking can out of that whole scenario. And now the world is all only sex, and they have a great innuendo shot of a train going through her legs and into a tunnel, and she just loses her mind. And it all feels so new and so un... un... unnormal. Not... It all feels so new and strange to her that she doesn't know what to do with it. Like, none of them know what to do with it. They don't know what... They don't... None of these characters know what they want. None of these characters know what they need out of any relationship they're pursuing. Maybe ultimately, with the exception of Rika, who I'll get to in a second, um, but she, like, Kazusa's just like, oh, 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 fuck. And then, like, ultimately, at the by the end of the show, she is, like, jabbing her at that point, at the end, of, by the end of the show, her boyfriend either be like, "Hey, you looking for your weird train porn? You want to I'll find it again? <laughs> I did that too." And she's like very honest about it, and he's just like, it gives him pause, like, "Oh, well, at this point already, cool." <laughs> and here's why I want to talk about Rika, because Rika is. But in the beginning of the show, she's very buttoned up. She's very prim and proper. She's, pretend, she's like pretending that they're not reading hardcore porno scenes out loud in a room. <laughs> but that's what they're doing. And she doesn't... She thinks that it's filthy. She thinks that being honest about your desires and engaging in those desires is like a gross dirty, awful thing. And they and we have a example of that in this show in the character of um Hisashi, who is a pedophile who built up rules around himself so he will not be a full on pedophile ever. Um, which is gross and bad and like this show makes him creepy as shit and like makes all the interactions with him creepy as shit, but also shines a light on him in the opening and ending of this show and, like, once you realize what that character is, you're like, oh, gross, he's bad, but also his character design also feels like, oh, he's probably gross and bad, I don't like him, he seems pale in a way that's sickly and fucked up. But Rika's journey with her boyfriend eventually, Shun, pushed her in the most mature place about relationships and about what she wants out of her relationship with Shun. And, like, she had a place where she could aim her affection. And they have a 
really great scene in the last episode of the show where she is like, you've kissed other girls? Oh, fuck. We haven't kissed. And he kisses her on the forehead and his reasoning is, I've kissed other girls on the lips. I've never kissed other girls on the forehead. That's a first for me. You got my first to something. I'm trying to be sweet and and commit and commit and like compromise here. Meet me halfway, and she's like, "Okay." And then they almost kiss for real, and they're interrupted. But the the show really shows Rika waking up to oh. This is fine. Like it's okay to want these things out of a relation out of a relationship. To want to be with someone. To want to not to have that desire to know someone, to be close to someone like that. And what what the show really settles on without saying, which is really important, is that like sex isn't a bad thing and sex isn't like this big scary monster or at least it doesn't need to be everybody treats it like that because who knows societal norms and bullshit but at the end of the day it's the physical expression of it's one of the physical expressions of love and of affection and of feeling and it's a way to directly feel that love and affection in a way that is ingrained to mean something to us because of evolution, genetics, and once again, societal bullshit, and all this other stuff. And there, the last character I want to really, actually, before I get to Momoko, I want to talk about um, Hongo. Hongo is like the beeline character, the character who is determined right up until the moment when she realizes she fucked up. To, like, be the one who fucks. Hongo is the one who wants to fuck the hardest by the end of this show. Only the object of her affection ends up being Tomoki. And I forget the character name in Cardcaptor Sakura, but there's a character in Cardcaptor Sakura who is, like, part of what they call in the, in the clamp of Earth a soul pair, which is, like, a... Like, not only the romantic pair, but a pair of people, a pair of, a relationship that is, like, together across universes. But in her original universe, that character is, the character who she's attracted to is just the teacher. And the teacher is, like, straight up, like, okay, then I'll wait for you. I know you're in elementary school, but I'll wait for you to be of age and then we'll get married. And that makes it a creepy thing. What makes the relationship between Hongo and Tomoki feel real and feel honest and feel like like not creepy in the way that 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 Hisashi feels is, and it's one of the reasons why I think it's important that they have both Tomoki and Hisashi in this show. Is Tomoki at all points is like, no, you're a child. You you like you like me because of your perception of me as like an adult, as like the kind of person you would like. And yes, Tomoki takes it way too far 
and gets way too fucking in over his own head like a dumbass. But the, the, the long and short of it is, and once again, spoilers and like offense warnings, I'm sure trigger warnings, if like sexual acts between a minor and a adult, you don't like that. A trigger warning for the entire episode, but this specifically. Um, and also the Hisashi conversation that I'm probably going to have after this, specifically. Um, ha- Tomoki, in an attempt to, like, get Hon- get Hongo off this, like, path that she's on, and it ultimately kind of, it ultimately worked, pretty much, is like, okay, fine. You really want to do it? Do it. Meet me at this bus stop. She waits at the bus stop. He picks her up in his he picks her up in his car. And he does like the thing that and I understand this. This is the like sex version of bring your kid to a jail cell when they did something first time they do something like atrociously bad. And he brings Hongo to a love hotel, but not like a normal not like a medium range or high end love hotel. He's not trying to make this glamorous. He's trying to prove a point. <laughs> he brings her to the cheapest, love, the cheapest, grossest, weirdest love hotel kind of ever. <laughs> like, bad wallpaper, sconces from the 70s, the whole, the whole nine yards. And he... But he overestimates, like, the determination at which Hongo feels like... She has to know. She has to do this. She has to do this with this person. This person she's attracted to. And, like, she's accepted the fact that she's attracted to him. And she goes straight up full 69 on him. Mind you, she's not wearing underwear. And she gets to the point and she's, like, where she's, like, ripped off his pants. She's like, why aren't you aroused at all? And it hits her that he wasn't kidding. He's not attracted to her. He's not, she's not his type, even. If she was an adult, she wouldn't be his type. And it just, it hurts so much that she just breaks down crying. And cries for the rest of the time. And he's just like, it's not, this is, this is why this wouldn't ever work. Not just because you're a child. It's because you're not there yet. You don't understand what it is to be an adult because you're not an adult. You need more time. It's fine. The world is the world. I didn't make it, but this is what it is. And, like, he, he, granted, he did not anticipate full-on, like, the equipment being out in the open at some point. But he did, he got the point across one way or another. And from that point on, Hongo is very, uh, she still clearly has feelings for him, but she understands kind of what that is. And she comes away with like that moment of just like, that felt, that like was a thing for her. It, It felt it fell a certain kind of way for her. And she had that moment for herself. And, like, also, it's 
it's borderline illegal. It's like not the most illegal in the show that still goes to Hisashi. Fucking pervy asshole. Asshole savant director jerk. Um, but Tomoki, like, does the best thing he could have in that scenario. Not the best thing he could have, let's be honest. Best thing he could have done is, like, remove himself from the scenario entirely no matter what it took. But he does... He gives her an honest experience in a way that feels like it wasn't talking down to her. It feels like it didn't... And this whole show kind of does this, and it's fabulous. And this whole show, for that reason, makes... Has the character that has the most opinion about are the characters who try and force the world on these... The, who try and force these characters who are coming of age, like ultimately they do with um, Sone by the end, to like fit into their narrow box of what children should be when teenagers aren't aren't full-on adults but they aren't children they shouldn't be like you shouldn't treat a teenager like you treat a full-on child a teenager is not a four or five year old the teenager is like someone who has started to have real thoughts and interactions and opinions with life and about life and it often and this is a lot of what, at least in America, we use therapy for. Often, children, like uh, teenagers, the only way they can experience that, like, an honest, filterless conversation about lots of things is through therapy. And that's because therapists are specifically trained to appropriately, like, take you through that stuff. There's a... One of the funniest stories, I was in group therapy for a while. I was also in normal, like, one-on-one therapy for a while. But I was early for my therapy session, and I walked... I, like, knocked on the door because I'm not an idiot. I know my therapist has other clients. And, like, I also knew that right before us, there was a teen girl group therapy session that happened. And... After that, after, like, those girls were let out and we were let in, it was, we were, like, a mixed gender, normal, young adult, like, in our 20s therapy session. Um, but, like, she's like, yeah, it's really funny. We were talking about, like, feelings about the opposite sex and boys and, like, coitus and all this other, like, slightly erotic shit and then Alex just shows up and he's like hey guys you done yet and like I had to spend a couple minutes I wasn't planning on like just bringing them down from and then there's a dude here to which I apologized to her for she's like it's fine it was bound to happen it was funny that it happened exactly then and the only adults they chide or they have a, a definite like these people are bad opinion on are the adults who are like 
No, you're a kid. You, you, why do you have these feelings? Why are you experimenting with this at all? Would you rather them do it when, it was, when they were 50 and they still don't know what they're doing and they're fucked up? No. That's worse. You're supposed to, like, be... The, they, they have the phrase young, dumb, and full of cum for a reason. Like, that's common because that's the way it is. And the longer you put that off, the longer that people aren't asking questions about that stuff, the less accessible it becomes and the harder it becomes. Because you don't... It, if you don't... If, if you say don't have any sauce about sex until you're 50 years old, it's not any easier. It's harder, in fact, because everybody else knows the rules and you don't. And so much of what the like mindset that was the approach to cuties was, and granted, the problem with cuties was like the sexuality was full-blown and out there in a way that it was not, that it's not in something like, um, what's it called? In, in, that's not in Savage Season, certainly, but it is in, um, the Hormone Monster show from Netflix. Like, it's all the way the fuck out there in that show. Um, <laughs> which is great. If you are looking, if you're looking for that, or you, like, have a kid who, like, might need that, look that show up. It's worth it. Um, but the, the show really makes those characters, those characters, the bad guys ultimately. And then it kind of brings everything to a head and it makes it so like, okay, you have these feelings we have these feelings for each other in all kinds of different directions. And we have to live with that. We have to, but we also have to live with, like, we've, in Tomoki and Kazus' case, they live with the fact that they like each other, but they also like their relationship. But they want, the thing they want out of a romantic relationship is more time with each other, is to, like, let those feelings grow, and that's what they ultimately decide on. The thing that, you know, Rika and Shun have with each other is new and they're exploring it. And they're like very, both of them are finally in a place by the end of the show where they're very willing to explore it. Hongo has realized that like that relationship will come for her. It's like a feeling of mutual love will exist for her. And she has had an experience of a lifetime already that will be enough for her until she gets to that point. Uh, and then we come to Nina and Momoka. And Nina, like I said at the beginning of this, has lived a life that has stressed to her, you are beautiful. You are attractive. You are valuable because you are attractive. And when she develops feelings for, Izu for Izumi, they're honest. It's like she's finally on, when she's finally honest, she's like, I'm okay. I'm like, actually have a crush on either me. And I'm admitting it to the world for once instead of just letting it pass me by because I don't have enough self value to act on it for once she does. But then what she says is she says, 
I'm okay with either me only wanting my body. And that's the thing that tells you that Nina has some stuff she needs to work out. And either me later said, like, hey, I need to go apologize to Nina because she's probably pretty raw right now in a way that she can't hide. And it's important that you apologize to people when you hurt them, even if it was unavoidable. And she's still basically, she's still a good person. She's not a bad person. But if she sits with this for long enough, that might make her a bad person. <laughs> that makes any sense. And then there is Hisashi, the last character that I kind of want. Actually, the last character I want to talk about is Momoko, so we'll save Momoko for last. But Hisashi is... He is the root of Nina's, like, hot girl summer-itis, so to speak. He is the root of her being, like, aloof and unapproachable. And even she says, like, he valued me because I was a child. And because ch children are pure and gorgeous. And this guy's a creep, fucking creeper. And when the show reveals him to be a creeper... Nina realizes this, this guy basically groomed her for years. And she immediately, immediately punches him in the face as hard as possible. And, like... If there's one criticism of this show that I really have... Uh, it's because the, the... And the will-they-won't-they they of this show is... Is, is honestly earned and honestly demonstrated is like, listen, these are a bunch of teenage idiots. They don't know what they're doing yet. Like, it's it a will, they won't, they think. Because th they don't fucking know either. <laughs> not the show knows. Not not the show knows. But they're not letting you have it. The big... The big faults I have with this show are... They start to get into same-sex relationships... And just kind of don't have the... They don't really have the space to tackle it, if that makes any sense. And they start to get into the kinds of... Like, this person is... This person is deranged. And their sexuality comes from some sort of very damaged, very fucked up, should not be allowed place. Like, Hisashi. As kind of like... Just he exists... And he can be a joke character when we need him to be a joke character. But, like, he exists, and that's fine. And it, it's, not, it's not cool. Like, the, the inclusion of Hisashi should have been, like, this is a character who is a demon. And they so almost get there. And they just... They don't stick the landing on it. Because as soon as she full-on cold cocks him in the face when he's, like, literally licking up the front of her body and she's like, nope, don't like this! Fucking punches him off her. They, like, have a frame of it like it's a comedy thing and it just doesn't... It doesn't... It doesn't read right. But that's only a short, short, short piece of this. Where they kind of stumble is with Momoko. 
And Momoka, you're given all the cues to think like, oh, this this girl isn't into guys. This girl this girl isn't into guys at all. And to the character who she ultimately meets who like they play off as like an okay dude for like the first five seconds. <laughs> and then he's just the biggest douche. And then once you add up all the pieces, you're not sure that he's the biggest douche. You the thing the only thing you're sure of is he has about as much experience and understanding of how to do this as any other teenage guy, which is none. And he you start to realize that the problem isn't necessarily with him. Although the problem, to be clear, is with him. He is like the situation from fucking Jersey Shore levels of douchebag. He calls his he calls his friends his bros, and it makes me want to kick him in the head. But the focus they keep coming back to is Rika didn't like the experience of like putting of like aiming her attraction at him. And that's the way I would put it with all of these characters. They all aim their attraction at another character. And she doesn't know... At first, she doesn't know why... She isn't attracted to guys. And then she has a moment where she just, like, breaks down, lets go, and confesses her feelings for Nina. And Nina is like, I don't know what to do with this. This is my friend. I I can't I don't know what to do with this. And she has a um and Nina at some point says, like, if you had to have sex with like this person or the world would end, which would you what would you do? And it, to cop to cop to both Kazusa and to Momoko. And Momoko rephrases it to Kazusa since they're like the best of best friends. And she goes, if you had to have sex with Mr. Tomoki, um, or you had to have sex with, or you had to have sex with me, what, which would you do? Or, or the world would end, what would you choose? And Kalisa says a thing that feels log- like a place of logic, but any, any adult would realize like, oh, you're trying to make it okay that, like, girls have sex with other girls. We, okay. M- my job here is to answer you. But what Kyle says is, like, listen, Moka, I love your pieces, but I'm into dudes, and Tomoki, and, and the teacher is a dude, so I'm gonna have to pick him. And... It just, like, breaks Momoko's heart. And Momoko, like, needs to... Needs to, needs to come... Like, it's clear that Momoko needs to come to a place that she's okay with her own feelings about her own attraction to women that and that she's just not attracted to men. And that's... I talked about societal bullshit when I talked about, like, the framing of sex as being this, like, off-limits, gross, nightmare thing. But that's even worse, especially in Japan, 
when it comes to queer relationships. Queer relationships are fetishized and they're fetishized heavily in anime. Um, especially queer male relationships are fetishized as like fodder for women. But they're really demonized in Japan. They like queer people in Japan do not have a whole lot of rights in a way or respect shown to them in a way that is not true in America at all. Like, um, I would, I watched a, uh, a video from abroad in Japan, which if you don't follow him on YouTube, you should, he's great. And him and Chris and Chris from, um, Sea Dog VA, which is less of an essential follow on YouTube, but still really amusing. Went to all these love hotels. Just, like, check out love hotels and check out weird-ass love hotels because they wanted to see inside them and they, like, went to a nautically-themed one that had a glass case with an $8,000 Donald Duck figure in it, a Donald Duck statue in it, and it was very weird and very funny. But they also showed these love hotels that straight-up kicked them out, not because they were carrying a camera or not because they were, like, didn't make a reservation but because it was two guys wanted into a love hotel, and love hotels are about banging, and they were anti-gay. And there are laws that are supposed to prevent that, but not everybody follows them, because people are assholes. And the big, the, so that's the kind of societal pressure of you have to be straight that Momoka is probably dealing with. Like, she's dealing with the fact that, like, she probably doesn't know any gay people. Or if she does, she probably didn't recognize it in herself, certainly. Although, seriously, if you're paying attention, you recognize that in Momoka really, 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 or, like, beginning of the show. You're like, oh, this one likes girls. That's fine. Cool. She's about to figure that out real quick and painfully and probably fuck up a couple times. Um, and her relationship with Nina is kind of protracted a whole lot by the end of the show. Like, by the end of the show, you get, like, all these fun little vignettes of, like, you know, of, like, Hongo... Self-actualizing. Rika and Shun doing their thing. Kalisa and Izumi and and Izumi doing doing their thing and being like an adorable couple who just like hold hands all the time. <laughs> um, and then you see a moment where Nina and Momoko are together and they're doing stuff and they're having a good time, and you wonder if. But you're left to wonder in a much more open way, is that of concrete relationship? Is that a romantic thing or is that a friend thing? Or is that somewhere in between? Because you're left to understand that Nina clearly by the time the like crescendo of the show was happening, not necessarily have a healthy like concept of her own 
romantic viability. And the only way she had to go was that of Momoka, who wanted her for wanted Nina for Nina as a whole, not just as a body. And maybe that was Nina's realization to like, maybe I love everybody. <laughs> maybe I'm pansexual. Maybe I'm, you know, bisexual. Who knows? But she. Maybe I'm in love with people who love me. Who knows? But that's really the only relationship. That's really the only character who they don't. Once once they make the big reveal of this girl loves girls. They don't know what to do with it. Almost. They don't, they don't know. And granted. The thing I will say is that they don't know what to do. Don't know what to do with it, but the things they do do with it feel very honest, feel very aware of, like, listen, this girl's got a whole other layer of shit she's about to have to deal with. Because the first thing was, oh, sex is a thing that we're thinking about all the time now. But the second thing is, for Momoko, like, how do two girls even have sex? How do two girls even date? How does that work? What happens in the world? Like, what happens? And they feel like they know they're unequipped. So they want to wrap it up in a way that, like, they get to that. And they're like, hey, this is a thing for this girl. We're not prepared to deal with this. We can't. We have no time. And at least I can show respect for that of, like, they want to put that into the world and they want to put that out as a possibility and make her a queer character, but they don't want to step in it real hard, which shows this show from beginning to end has a, like, a thoughtfulness about the material, about the raw material it's playing with and how that could hurt people. Because oftentimes shows like this Oftentimes, things like this want to make, have good intentions, maybe, but they also have the effect of being like, no, like a good relationship looks like this. A healthy relationship looks like this. You know, love looks like this. Responsible lovemaking looks like this. Or they go the other direction. It's all spectacle. Like, um, like that's stepsister girlfriend thing from um couple from a couple of years ago that was like I've I, I read that on a vac I read the manga for that on vacation um and I was like and when I heard the anime was announced I was like oh oh no on that note um I went fairly long this time I hope you guys don't mind I had a lot to say about this show because I found it really kind of fascinating because of the A, the subject matter and B, the kind of wide exploration of the subject matter from like all the way from like childhood friends, what it would actually be like for childhood friends to actually convert into a relationship which probably happens way more than you would ever fucking imagine um, to 
like what happens to a child who is clearly, and I can't stress this enough, Hisashi abused the shit out of Nina. It's just true. I also, Nina, like, is a, like, a rare thing in Japanese society that depicted as beautiful and foreign in the way that America oftentimes treats East Asian people, um, which is disgust- it's disgusting in both directions, guys. But, like, she was clearly psychologically abused at the very least. Maybe physically abused. Um, but definitely psychologically abused. And it, it like, what happens to a person after that when they get out of that situation and they're in a normal scenario and they hit a, they hit a point in life where everyone zigs and they slightly zag because they, they were dragged into that they were dragged into far more than that than they were prepared for way too early and on that note um I've been Alex this has been Lunchbox Radio and if you like this episode new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday except for last Sunday I just didn't have anything in the tank sorry guys but um Sunday episodes are more like based on fandom, like industry stuff, more metatextual. Thursday shows like this are more about a specific show or a specific um, film or anything like that. So, on that note, I will talk to you on Sunday. Oh,